Please turn to John chapter 14. In a couple of weeks, we'll be saying John chapter 15, but not yet. We've learned so much of what Jesus has been speaking to his disciples about in a very intimate way. And all as he's preparing to go to the cross in just a few hours. They've partaken of the Passover supper together. Jesus has pointed to himself, I'm sure, from the elements of Passover and practically every one points to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He comforted his disciples after Judas Iscariot has left them by speaking very intimately to them and saying to them, let not your heart be troubled. Now, remember this, he's, he's, he's beginning a long dissertation to them. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. As if to say, you're going to hear a lot of things that may trouble you, but don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then the questions started coming. Where are you going? Even though he's told them time and again. Where he's going. Peter says, I'm going with you. He said, you can't go with me. You'll go there later, but you're not going there with me now. Thomas says, well, Lord, Show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Philip asked, and in fact, he didn't ask. He, he, he says, look, just show us the Father. And that suffices us. Jesus said, I've been showing you the Father. So what are we getting from the disciples? But a lot of confusion here. No focus. Do we look down on them or should we say, wow, they're just like us? Especially in the time of great concern. But Jesus said, look, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come to you. But he says, but there's some things that you need to understand. In the most intimate way, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then to strengthen what he says about that, he says to them, look, you'll keep my commandments if you love me. And then in our text, he'll say it again. 
But one thing that he says and emphasizes very clearly is that if you love me, the Father will love you and I will love you. And we will come to be with you. And the last thing that Jesus says before our text today, there in verse 21, he said to them, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And this prompts a question from another disciple named Judas, not Iscariot. John makes it clear in verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not in, unto the world? Because if you remember earlier on, Jesus said, the world may, will no longer see me. The world will see me no more. But you see me. So the question is asked, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So just previous to this, Jesus had just given words of comfort and commitment and comprehension. This is what we looked at last week to his disciples in preparation for all that would be happening in the hours that would follow, not to mention in the ministry of the disciples after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The promise of another comforter should have been encouraging to them. But there was still a lot of apprehension and fear, fear of the unknown. Well, that uh, is a fear that some of us have. The fear of the unknown. The Lord stressed the issue of having and keeping his commandments as a true sign of loving him. But with the added encouragement of the Father and the Son's love along with his continued manifestation. I, we will manifest, I will manifest myself to you. I will reveal myself to you in, a, in, in ways that, that you're not used to. It's, it's totally different. It's all new. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's spoken about after, you know, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a new and living way. But all of this, all of this may have just been completely bewildering to the disciples. It was probably a little bit heady for them or as we oftentimes say, just a bit over their heads, right? It was flying right over them. Everybody ever said that to you? You know, you, you're telling them something, they go, hey man, that's just way above my head. Or as some people say, way above my pay grade, you know? 
And they're wondering, like, what's going on here? What is Jesus saying? But you have to understand, that night, all of them, all of them, every one of those 11, struggled to grasp any or everything that Jesus said to them about their future without his physical presence. They have been with him for three and a half years. And now he says, I'm going, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. But did they really hear that? So the disciple named Judas, and as John clearly states, was not Iscariot, asked Jesus the question, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now, there was some understanding by this Judas about Jesus' manifestation. He, he understood a little bit about it. He rightly concluded that he and the other disciples loved the Lord sufficiently so as to be the subjects of that promise. Okay, so we, okay, so we, uh, we love you enough, Lord, that you're, you're going to manifest yourself to us. But why not to the world? And while he understood to some degree what Jesus said concerning there being no more public displays of himself, that truth seemed to bother Judas. I'm sure it bothered the other disciples as well. He and his fellow disciples were present at the Lord's triumphal entry just a few days before this supper. Just a few days. When Jesus rides on the foal of a donkey, and as he's entering into the city of Jerusalem, the people are laying down palm branches before him, and they begin to shout the words out of Psalm 118, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Words that were reserved only for the Messiah of Israel. The disciples in seeing all of this, in experiencing what they're seeing, are now believing that things were moving in the right direction. Jesus the Messiah is come. He is come to, to, to rescue us, to deliver us from this oppression of Rome. The people are recognizing it. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So the question is, Lord, why then this change? Why are we going back to secrecy? It brought to mind how much we here, probably all of us, None of us like change. We don't like change. We get into set patterns in our life, and man, anything that changes that, oh, you know, we, go, we, get, we make faces, uh, you know, we grunt, uh, you know, things change, right? Last night, we had to change our clocks. Okay, so we were going to get an extra hour of sleep. I didn't. Did you? I didn't like that change. So I went to bed at an hour earlier. I still got up and I was like, what time is it, you know? If I get up at five o'clock usually, guess what time it was yesterday? It was for my body. My body said, no, it's four. We don't like change, do we? 
So we're no different than the disciples in many cases. Thomas, Philip, Judas, the three that responded to some things that Jesus said. I mean, two questions and a misguided statement. But they reflected the heart of all the 11 of the, of the apostles. All 11 apostles felt the same way. But you still need to remember, this was Jesus' last night with them before going to the cross. He would be dead tomorrow. He would be dead tomorrow. And so little had been grasped by them. Oh, Lord, how can we know the way? Show us the Father and it suffices us. So I've showed you the Father. Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not to the world? In effect, what they were asking was this, Lord, why don't you just display your messianic glory to impress the indecisive multitudes and bring the Jewish religious and civic leaders to their senses? Just show them who they are. What had they missed? The many times that Jesus said to them in private, listen, I am going to be taken, I am going to be crucified. I am going to die. I am going to be buried, and in three days, I am going to rise from the dead. Three times we see in the Gospels that Jesus says that very clearly. And each time the disciples become much more indecisive. The Lord says it to them the first time, and they're saying, oh, okay. He says it to them the second time, they go, well, what? He says the last time, he's just like, oh, Lord, what's, what's all this about? Why didn't you tell us before? <laughs> I did. I told you time and time again. Revealing what? How often we don't listen to what Jesus says to us? How often we don't listen even though we have his word ever before us? But I do want you to take note of something. Take note of Jesus' present, uh, 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 patience with them. Take note of his, his patience. I, I don't think there's a person in this room that isn't thankful that, that the Lord is patient with us. See, you, you see, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their fears. He knew their apprehensions. He knew their anxieties. But folks, he knows ours too. He knows our hearts. He knows our fears, our apprehensions, our anxieties. He knows them all. And he loves you. Doesn't want you to stay there, but he loves you. He wants you to trust him. And he does answer our questions if we'll listen. You see, he answered uh, Judas's question. He answered it, but he didn't answer it directly. He knew that their understanding was going to be made much more keen after the, after the day of Pentecost. After Pentecost, man, they, they were going to understand. 
A much greater understanding comes when we're filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the wisdom of God. Folks, remember this. That's, that's a miracle that we even understand what we see and read in the Word of God. It is a miracle that comes because God gives us the understanding. Before we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we ponder, we looked at the Scripture. We could read it from Genesis to Revelation, not understand a word until the light of the glory of Christ enters into our hearts and all of a sudden our eyes are open and we read and we say, oh, wow, that's what it means. That's what he says. How can we not attribute that to God's presence through his spirit? So they would understand later. But he knew. He knew what was going to happen in just a few hours. He knew that they would scatter completely and away. He knew that they wouldn't be with him at the cross. He knew these things. So what he gives them in this answer is a, is a key concept and a key contrast. First in verse 23, he gives them a key con concept. He gives them the concept again. Jesus answered and said unto him, unto Judas, if a man love me, and so here he's general, if a man, any man love me, he will keep my words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we, notice, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, here's verse 24 is the contrast. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. The key concept that I'm speaking about here begins with the word we. We. Jesus said, we will come unto him who loves me and keeps my words. We. Think about that for just a moment. Don't put your minds on anything else right now, not on tamales or on the football or on this or on that. Don't think about anything else but about what I just said. Think about this for a moment. The Father will come unto us. The Son will come unto us. Folks, let me just interject here. That's a pretty heavy thought here. They together, we, as Jesus put it, they will come unto us. They will come alongside of us. They will come living with us. They will come living where we live. The two most powerful, the two most loving, the two most wise and wonderful persons in all of the universe. And I say that because who does Jesus refer to? The Father and the Son. The Father and himself. He said, we will come to you. Can I give you a little hint? Already we've talked about 
the third person who's, who, who's already promised? That's a little hint here. Just thought I'd throw that so it doesn't confuse you. We've talked about the other comforter. Got it? Okay. So don't throw things at me like a heretic. I'm not a heretic. But this is who Jesus is talking about. The two most powerful, most loving, most wise, wonderful people in all the whole universe. The Father and the Son. They. The two persons who control every factor of matter, space, and time will come unto us. They will come unto us. They who are the objects of ceaseless adoration and tribute and song by the angels of heaven, they will come to us. And what we need to understand is they have chosen to make their abode with us. That's heavy. Right? I mean, am I alone here? It's weighty. It weighs heavy on me. Because I think, Lord, us? Man, I'm looking out here at you guys and I'm thinking, them, Lord? And you're looking at me thinking, him, Lord? Us. He's chosen. They have chosen to come to us. Let's go on. The, the concept continues with the word will. We will. Will. It is a matter of their will. They will to come to us. But what that tells us is that they mean what they say and they say what they mean. How many of you heard that phrase some, in one way or another? Sometimes we even use it ourselves. I mean what I say and I say what I mean. And sometimes it's true. And sometimes it's not. But when God says it, when Christ says it, when the members of the Godhead say it, you better believe it. They will come unto us. Because there isn't a power in all of the universe. There isn't a power on earth, on he in heaven or in hell even, that can keep them from doing what they determine to do. Can you? I can. And further, the concept is they will come unto. They will come unto. The implication is that they which are omnipresent as God, because we know from the scriptures that God is omnipresent. He is, in, he is over and above all of his creation. He has seen the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He is omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. No person is omnipresent. No creation or created thing is omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. So understand that the implication here is that they which are omnipresent as God will make a move. See, God, we see it already in the person of Jesus. Jesus comes from eternity into the flesh and then we see him when we hear him and we love him and we, and we touch him and feel him as, as the apostles did and have stated as such in their letters. That they saw him and they touched him and they were with him. They ate with him. Yet he was God and is God in the flesh. He 
The implication is that they which are omnipresent as God make a move within our own space and time continuum without altering their omnipresence. God is still everywhere. God is still everywhere. God knows every molecule, every atom of his creation. Knows it. That's how awesome our God is. That's why it should be heavy on our hearts and our minds that they will come unto him who love him and obey him. You see, the Lord did it at the burning bush with Moses. Remember Moses out in the wilderness tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep, and he sees a bush burning out there in the wilderness, and, but the bush is not cons being consumed, and so he goes to check it out, and as he gets closer, he hears the words spoken to him. Take off your shoes, for the ground upon which you walk is holy. And God speaks there to Moses as he prepares Moses to go back to Egypt, now to go back as the deliverer of God's people from Egyptian slavery. And Moses said to, says to the Lord, he says, so when I go, who do I tell him is sending me? What is your name? The voice from the bush speaks, I am that I am. And this shows us the link between that voice and the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And then God manifested himself upon the children of Israel on a daily basis throughout the wilderness experience. There they were, two million strong, out in the wilderness, wandering here and there, and yet God was with them. And they would set up the tabernacle, and the pillar of cloud by day would come, and the pillar of night, or the pillar of fire by night. That was the presence of God among his people. Only God can, can be eternal and enter into our space-time continuum because he created our space-time continuum. He created us that he might have fellowship with us. So, he says, that they will take up residence with us and they will come unto him, the person who loves Jesus. 
Please understand that the Lord is no respecter of persons. Understand that he is not impressed with the high and the mighty of the world. He's not impressed with titles. He's not impressed with position. He's not impressed with man's prosperity. He's not impressed with princes and presidents and prime ministers. He is drawn to those who love him. No matter what our status is in life, he is drawn to those who love him. And they will come and they will make their abode. The abode is a dwelling place. They will make their dwelling place with that person who loves him to take up our dwellings as his dwelling to change our humble abodes into his place of residence his palace among men and what has been implied in this statement by Jesus along with his subsequent statements is that the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of the Godhead that's why I was not fearful at all to tell you of the two persons that he was speaking of, the Father and the Son, because he has already promised the third, the other comforter, the Holy Spirit. And all three will dwell with a believer. All three together, three in one, will dwell with a believer. His words are the words of the Father who sent him. And go back to what Jesus said in verse 10 of this chapter. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Look, look at that relationship between the Father and the Son. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. That's going back. Let's go forward. Let's go to chapter 17. When Jesus is, is giving his high priestly prayer unto his Father. And he says, and now I am no more in the world. Verse 11, I now am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, and by the way, Jesus calls his Father, Holy Father. May I tell you that there is only one Holy Father, and that's the Father in heaven? He says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. He's praying for us. And he says in verses 22 and 23 of the same chapter, chapter 17, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me. Do you see this? this I mean, do you under, can we even understand this? But do you see what Jesus is saying? I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect or complete in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That the world may know that thou hast sent me. Why? Because they, they will see the, the Lord Jesus Christ in us. That's why I said to you last week, when Jesus talked about the fact that the world would see him no more, yeah, they wouldn't see him in the flesh any longer, but who will they, when will they see Jesus? 
because those of us who are filled with the Lord, filled with his spirit, and being conformed day by day by the mercies of God into the very image of his dear son, that's how they see Jesus. They will see Jesus in you and you and in me. And who are we but they which love him and obey his word. So these are now the answers to the issue of manifestation. How will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, here's the answers to the issue of manifestation. A new thing has come to light. Something never known by man before is now made known. Some mystery had now been revealed. That's what Jesus was telling them. It was something that cannot be discovered by man's reason or man's wisdom. Time and time again, people today are seeking out after some way of understanding what life is all about. And then, but, but going off in all different kinds of tangents because we've been told that we came from nothing, that we came from, uh, you know, that we were evolving from whatever happened out in the universe four billion, six billion, twelve billion, tri trillion years ago. Who knows how much longer now it is, you know, which is not science at all. It's just speculation. But that's the scientists talking. Right? Oh yeah, billions of years ago this happened. Really? How do you know? So I don't know I was there, but I tell you what, I have a document that tells me that God, who wrote this document, created the, the world, and the things in the world, the earth, and all that is there is. Six days, that's it. On the seventh he rested. God has spoken. Can't understand that in the wisdom of man, in the philosophies of man. Can't understand it. Man has tried. But it is a mystery that is hidden from man and beyond his grasp. It is the presence of Jesus brought to light and made alive in the life of the true believer in Jesus. This is how he discloses his person, how he discloses his nature, how he discloses his goodness within our lives and our hearts. I want you to remember something that Jesus said in John 7, verses 38 and 39. Actually, Jesus said what he said in John 38. John interprets it in verse 39. But in John 7, verse 38, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, out of the deepest part of a person's life. The deepest part, and not the physical part, the deepest part of his spiritual life, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John says in verse nine, uh, 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Notice, hadn't received yet, but they should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Of course, that would happen at Pentecost. So now, Jesus brings together this whole concept of God with us and God in us, and that is, in verses 24 and 25, he brings together the Godhead, the whole of the Godhead. And look at what it said in, in, verse, it said in verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Notice this. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. There's the Father. In my name, there's Jesus. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. 
And there in verse 25, we see the fullness of the Godhead revealed by Jesus. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. The Father and the Son are going to be there. Why? Because they said, we will come unto you. And Jesus said, and by the way, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the other Comforter, and he's going to come and be with you. Guess what? We have one God in three persons in us. I don't like to use this term too often, but it blows my mind to think about that. And Jesus now tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is the teacher who will teach all things which Jesus taught, including the presence of the Comforter who is given to help the believer through the trials of life and the indwelling presence and love of the Father and the Son. All of that, the Holy Spirit will teach us. We are learning the things of the, of the work of God and the Word of God because we surrender every time to the Spirit and say, Lord, we submit ourselves to your teaching, through your Spirit, from your Word, to our hearts, that we might grow in your grace and knowledge and be more and more made into the image of Christ. That, we may not word it that way when we come into church, but you know what, what we ought to do? We ought to, we ought to pray that every time we come. Lord, you teach us through your spirit what your word is saying to us. Consider also the statement in verse 26. The fact that the comforter comes only from the Father in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That phrase has caused some people to go way off the mark when it comes to understanding the Word of God, understanding the person of the, of, of, of the Godhead as the Father, the Son, Spirit. And there will be those who will attack this Trinitarian theology, which is to say there is one God in three persons. Uh, and, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time in that particular thought, but the fact of the matter is, in the name means in the authority of. In the authority of. And when you hear what Jesus said to his disciples before he, res before he ascended into heaven, and he said to them in Matthew chapter 28, there around verses 18 through 20, in verses 19 through 20, he said, he said, go ye and make disciples of all nations. And he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that when you get to the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we're told that Peter is asked, well, you know, what do we, we do to be saved? And he said, well, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be, believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, understand this. What is, the, what is in the name of Jesus, and how do we separate that to say that there's only Jesus, that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, and there's not a trinity, but there's only Jesus. How do we get to that point? Because we have misinterpreted what in the name means. Because in the name means in the authority of. So where was the authority given? Because people will say, well, Peter said, yeah, but I want to hear what Jesus said. Peter was only doing what Jesus said. And that was, Jesus said, 
you shall go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit because there is three in one. There is that unity of the, of the Godhead. So when he says, in the name of Jesus, you know, be, be, believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus, he's just saying, yeah, I'll just refer to Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It can be a little more complicated than that, but this is just simply trying to understand what is being said here about the name of Jesus in our text. The Father, the Comforter, I should say, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, in my authority, he shall teach you all things. So that is in the authority of Jesus Christ and also God, the Father, recognizing that Jesus Christ alone, his Son, is acceptable to God the Father. Are any of us in the flesh acceptable to God the Father? Any of us. Not one of us. But Jesus is. Because of who he is. Acceptable to God the Father. Remember that back in verses 13 and 14 when Jesus said, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name... That will I do, and that wasn't a matter of saying, look, we can get whatever we want by just asking things in the name of Jesus. No, the authority of Jesus, why? Because of the context. Remember what Jesus said right before that. He said, greater things will you do than I. Greater things will you do. But they cannot do those greater things without the Spirit, without the Father, without the Son. He says, if you shall ask anything in my name, in my authority and in my will. I'll do it. So understand that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer is twofold, and just based on what we're studying today. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is twofold. First of all, it is to teach all things, both the words and the life of Christ, both the truth and the life, both the word and how to live it. It is the principle and the practice. It is the concept and the conduct. That is the first thing. It is to teach us all things. Not only the word, but the work. Not only the, the, the uh, principle, but the practice. So it is also, the second thing is to help us remember that all that has been taught in the word of God. Remember everything that has been taught in the word of God to help especially in the moments of trial and tribulation when the truth is needed. He gives us, you know, he gives us wisdom way beyond our understanding. But may I give you a little hint here? Would you please read the Bible? Would you read from Genesis to Revelation? This is why we study from Genesis to Revelation here. Because we want to know what every word is that the Bible says about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Because at some point in time, it's going to help us all. And, and, and we're going to have it in our minds. And you know, sometimes we may not understand it fully. But, but if we read it, at least we'll have it somewhere in our mind. Somewhere in our, you know, we, we like to have it in the mind and heart because that should be connected. But the point of the matter is that if we don't read it at all and we're put into a position where we need to know the word of God, we're just going to stare, oh, I should have known that. Yeah, you should have. So get into the word of God. Read it. But then, you know, because you do, God is going to help you through it. He's going to give us the strength to endure the struggles and the trials that we face, or he's going to give us the way of escape, as Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which everybody knows this verse. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
So there'll be times when you are given a way to escape certain things. But in other cases, maybe not. And then the Lord does this in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, taking no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. You trust in the Lord being with you and in you, and, and you just say, Lord, give me words. You know what? He'll give you words. And they need to be his words. And they need to be in line with Scripture. Or we read what, John, what, what Jesus says in John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Consider as well what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 to 13, when it comes to knowing the word of God and knowing that God will give us a word when we need it. It's not going to come because of our flesh. It's going to come because we have that, that connection with the Spirit of God. Uh, consider 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 2, verses 11 through 13. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, notice, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, <clears throat> that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's what we do every time we open the Word of God. We're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, from time to time, we talk about these things that we do in the flesh or that we do out in the world, because the last time I checked, you're all still in flesh. You all look like you're in flesh. I can see you. You can't hide from it. You're in flesh, just like I am. <clears throat> but we look at spiritual things, spiritual principles that will help us in reaching people for Jesus Christ as one example. But there are those who are trying to teach us a different way. There are those who are trying to teach us a different gospel. And listen to what happens in 1 John 2 verse 27. I'm going to read it to you, then I'm going to put it into context. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now stop there and think. You need not that any man teach you. And you would say, well, then why are you teaching us? You know? Well, here, here, understand this. The context comes from the previous verse and the free, previous passage, which, which is talking about the fact that there are those who are trying to teach you a new, different thing and do so to deceive you and seduce you. Those are the words that John uses, to deceive or to seduce you. But he says, but the anointing which you have received. Now stop there and think. There are televangelists today, and I've heard a ton of them. They talk about anointed preachers, anointed teachers of God. Oh, the anointing is on this one, and the anointing is on that one. And I'm thinking, well, maybe so, but you know what? The anointing's on us too, so that we can determine by discerning of spirits whether they're coming with a true gospel or not. So all I can tell you is, hey, we've got the anointing too. Because that's what John says, the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you from that standpoint of man's wisdom. 
but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. We need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We need the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead, to be in our lives. And if he is indeed in our lives because we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ and proclaimed him as our Lord and Savior, then realize this. What is your day going to be like from here on? Knowing that the Godhead, the God who created the heavens and the earth, by speaking it into existence, wants to live in you and does live in you if you love him and keep his commandments. How will you then live from here on, knowing that? The last passage in this chapter speaks ever so warmly and yet with great force to the needs of, of men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read verse 27. Let's just get there because of time. Uh, just verse 27, and we'll just... Look at that, then we'll read the rest uh, later. But Jesus said in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's just go on. Although the Greek word eidene is used in the text for peace, Jesus was saying farewell to his disciples with the Hebrew word shalom. Clearly sounding a note of parting and yet one of richest importance. For as the Prince of Peace, Jesus brought it into the flesh. Jesus brought peace into the flesh. What I mean by that is What Isaiah gives us in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus carried that peace about in his own person. As he said in the text, verse 27, my peace I give unto you. My peace. And Jesus died to make it our peace. He died to make it ours, leaving it as a heritage for all of his disciples on earth, implanted and maintained by his spirit in our hearts. The peace he leaves, he gives. He says, peace I leave unto you. My peace I give to you. The peace that he leaves, he gives, not as the world gives. Besides, when you think about the peace of the world, what kind of peace is there right now? Any good peace anywhere in the world? Not really. You know, there may be a, a little bit of a lull, you know, in, 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 in some countries, you know, where... But man, even within countries, they're not at peace with each other. Look at our own country today. Man, we're in a shambles when it comes to unity and, 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 and peace. No peace here. 
We're living in the midst of a civil war. It's really an uncivil war. It's because of man's ideas, man's philosophies, man's political aspirations, man's way of thinking. Many a legacy is left, but is never given to any beneficiary. But when you think about Jesus, Jesus Christ is the, execu- is the executor of his own will and testament. This is what he's giving us. My peace I give unto you. And therefore, knowing that, all is indeed secure because we have the peace of Christ. And then remember that the world cannot give as Jesus gives. Jesus gives, first of all, sincerely. He gives humbly. He gives uh, uh, honestly and hopefully. Jesus gives sincerely. He also gives substantially. When Jesus gives, he gives completely, doesn't he? But most importantly, which no one can do except Jesus, Jesus gives eternally. Jesus gives eternally. No one else can give that way. And notice what Jesus will say in John 16, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Is he not right? That's all we see around us today, tribulation. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And what is amazing about that statement is he says it before he goes to the cross, which tells us he knew exactly what would happen. He would die on that cross. He would shed his blood. He would be buried. And by the way, when he's buried, you know why that's important here? Because he's burying our sins that he bore. And when he rises again three days later, he rises in all of his glory. He rises clean and pure. And he says, those of you who believe, you'll rise the same way. That not encouraging? Is that not encouraging? So, okay. There's the peace of assurance. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What an assurance that is of peace. We know that all things work together for good, even though we don't see it all immediately. All things will work together for good to them who love God. And there it is again, to love God, keep his word, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There is the peace of intimacy with Christ. Be careful for nothing. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, which means don't be, don't be anxious over anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, and literally in the Greek, it is God's peace. And God's peace, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts, shall guard your hearts, shall garrison your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding, which means, can any of us understand it? Not in these bodies today. Not in who we are today, still in flesh, yet redeemed in the spirit. 
And lastly, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Maybe we can get a good understanding now of the kind of peace that we need with Jesus Christ today. Paul said, therefore, being justified by faith. Justified. Standing before the judge who says, I only see the blood of Jesus on you. You are now justified. But by your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus Christ. So therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand this. We have peace with God. Now this is stated in such a way that makes us realize that what the opposite of that is, is what we were having with God before we came to know Jesus, and that is we were at war with God. And let's face it. As sinners born, sinners born from the very beginning, as sinners, all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, we are told. We were at war with God. Until we came to realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That was his fighting for us. His battle against sin. His battle against the enemy. His battle against death. His battle against sin. That when he was buried and he died, and I mentioned again, he took our sins. And then when he rose again from the dead, he conquered sin and death and hell and the devil. He conquered them. The war was over. Now, what happens when wars are over and one side wins? Peace. Do you understand now what we, we see here? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're, not, we're no longer at war with God. At least we shouldn't be. If you're still at war with God, now it's time to surrender. Lay down your arms and raise your hands and say, Lord, I surrender. Because you know what? I have no peace at all. And whatever I'm fighting for, I'm not winning. I'm not winning at all. Lord, you win. But let me ask you, isn't it good to let Jesus win? Because, man... He sure gives us a lot of neat things when we, when we lose. If you lose your life for my sake, you shall find it, Jesus said. Give up. Jesus has already won. He's the victor. Amen? And he's looking at me like, really? Yes, he's already won. We should praise God for that. Amen? All right. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Oh, undeserved favor. That's one of the things that we get when we lose. We win him. And we get his grace, his undeserved favor, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God.